Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all for joining us today, the intrepid among us, I guess. So I've been tasked with talking about doubt. Um, and I want to start by asking you guys if there's any connection between doubt and the experience you just had, um, particularly when I screamed. <laughs> um, anybody have anything? Not pontificating about it, but your actual experience, maybe within your body or your thoughts. <clears throat> it was very shocking. <laughs> um, I definitely had like a jumping sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also kind of brought me back to the present because my mind was sort of wandering. And then I, was, I realized I was spending time waiting for you to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but it was making me more mindful of the moment. And then I was trying to... I just felt like bursting into laughter. (laughs) And I was trying to hold it in so hard, and I still am. (laughs) I also had to control that, admittedly. I don't know if it was so much connected doubt, Mm -hmm. like you asked. It was more, how do I use this as a tool? And then I thought, oh would be nice to maintain my equilibrium. And then my head buzzed some more, and I went, oh, you're not so good at maintaining <laughs> Well, there was no room for doubt. <laughs> In that experience. Uh, it was uh, absolutely direct. <laughs> what it was like for you to be preparing to do that. Mm. Um, Well, first of all, I'll talk about the first time it happened to me, which is why I thought to do it. Um, I was at a different Dharma center, and uh, it was a long retreat, and there was a guy sitting next to me who was falling asleep, and very obviously, I mean, just, you know, (laughs) head not. I thought he was going to hit the wall in front of him, but... um, And the teacher did this, screamed no really loudly. And I just sat there and I thought, well, that was for that guy. Doesn't have anything to do with me. And then slowly I started to realize that it was for all of us and that it wasn't, you know, a reprimand. It was about getting into the moment. Um, But I think for me there was a sense of doubt that it was was for me, it was directed towards me, um, that it could mean anything for me in particular. Um, and then once I did sort of start to think about it, I was sort of indecisive about what it meant, um, and didn't really come to a great conclusion. So it sort of was reminiscent of doubt for me, but probably I was the one with most doubt involved in the process, um, because I, I decided I would do it, um, when we sat down for the second time. And then my heart started racing as soon as I realized I was going to do it. And then I... I thought, I don't know if I can even yell. <laughs> like, it's not really my nature to yell. Obviously, I can um, <laughs> quite um, convinci- convincingly. Um, so then I did it, and I was surprised that people actually did almost <laughs> levitate a few people. So uh, then I had to control kind of laughing because that wasn't what I expected <laughs> necessarily. And then I realized how quickly it went away. 
um, and just sort of dissipated as, as an experience. And it was there and then it was not there. And I wondered if it was still there for you guys because it wasn't really there for me after, it, it, after I did it. Um, so, um, let's see. So doubt's a really fun topic to be given. <laughs> not at all. Um, so I guess it's important to differentiate two kinds of doubt that we find in Buddhism. One is um, this doubt that's connected to the hindrances, which we're talking about, which you might think of as hindering doubt or self-doubt. Um, and the other one is often returned, referred to as great doubt or great questioning, um, great inquiring. And the great means that it's um, good for us, I guess. <laughs> And this is usually maybe what's brought us all to this practice and to this way. Um, it's the kind of I don't know mind, confusion, feeling of lost, um, feeling a lack of freedom, and kind of seeking the, an answer in this practice. Um, or you may have tried to seek it in other practices or other spiritual traditions. Um, you may go from here to other ones. Um, but it's sort of a maintaining of a seeking mind, a curiosity, a skepticism. And I find this quite challenging um, coming from a Catholic background <laughs> um, where I was raised very conservatively Catholic and very, very strictly Catholic. And um, there wasn't really any room for doubt. And if you doubted, it was sort of... Um, frowned upon, I guess, not even frowned upon, <laughs> scorned maybe. Um, and there, I was young and I really, you know, kind of stopped believing when I was a late teenager, but there was a blind faith, an unquestioning faith, because you weren't really supposed to question. Um, and that was just kind of given to you from all angles that you weren't really supposed to question, at least in my experience of Catholicism. Um, and then when uh, life threw some things my way, I found that when I actually did start to question that that was blind faith and that it didn't hold up, sort of. It didn't stand up to the test, I guess, in a way. And then I spent several years, um, I don't know, more than 10 years, looking for something that would sort of speak to that um, and something to have faith in. So doubt... And trust or faith are inseparable. They work together. You can't really have one without the other. And I think that's, for me at least, that's a big difference with Buddhism than uh, my own upbringing, is that it encourages doubt, because with doubt comes trust and faith. Um, without doubt, you don't have a lot of trust or faith because you haven't really, in a sense, tested the waters. Um, It's also impossible to, really as human beings, to avoid great doubt, although we do our best to avoid it <laughs> and to deny it. So this great doubt of what is this world, what, what's our purpose in it, what, what does it mean to us, uh, generally human beings have that arise within them. Not everyone listens to it, and some of us may have also found ourselves ignoring it for longer than others, <laughs> and we may still be ignoring it um, on our cushions. Some of us might be. Um, <laughs> so 
<clears throat> so then the other kind of doubt, the hindering doubt, which um, is a hindrance <laughs> and gets in our way, so isn't quite as helpful or um, maybe productive as great doubt can be in our search. Um, and self-doubt or hindering doubt can often come in the form of self-doubt, and usually that's kind of the most profound form um, and might be at the bottom of all the other doubts that we may have um, in this practice, in the teachings, maybe in our teacher, um, in our fellow Sangha members, um, in our work, in our occupation, in our calling, in our family life, um, doubting in another person or in another thing may often, at least in my experience, it seems to come back to a sense of self-doubt, doubting in myself. Um, <clears throat> it shows up um, sort of like my um, <laughs> yelling no uh, as an indecision, um, a lot of confusion and not making a decision and waiting for quite a long time. Um, so I did that. I thought, I should do this. No, I shouldn't do that. I should do it. I shouldn't do it. And then I thought, we're talking about doubt. Trust it and do it. Um, and then also endless analyzation, uh, which is what happened to me the first time that I heard a Dharma teacher sort of scream no. Um, was kind of analyzing it from all angles, but never really coming to any grand conclusion. But you know, I had all the intellectualizing and all the concepts, and I thought of all the different things that could possibly be without one really experiencing it um, physically and in my mind, in my heart, in my body, and two, coming to any kind of resolution about it. Um, <clears throat> so for me right now, I guess, um, my biggest doubt arises around um, my path in life right now, I guess. Um, about last August, I guess, I started to question whether I should be getting a PhD. Um, and it did result in a lot of indecision. <laughs> and I think my whole PhD experience was a lot of indecision and doubt. Um, Self-doubt, doubt about whether it was worth doing, um, lots of kinds of doubt. Um, and then uh, over the course of the time from August until May, I spent in that sort of indecision and analyzing and going over and over and over again. Um, <clears throat> and it meant quitting my PhD, and I didn't know what else it meant. And um, so I... I just kept thinking about it. I didn't really do anything. Um, and once I, at one point in May, I don't remember when, I had a conversation with Mado and I was talking, I was analyzing it with her. <laughs> and she said, well, I think you already decided. And I went, no, I haven't. <laughs> like, surely I haven't decided because deciding meant faith and trust. It meant trusting what comes next. It meant, um, it took a leap to say, yeah, I've come to a decision. And then after I got off Skype, I was in South Africa at the time, I thought, I think I have actually reached a decision and sort of thought, damn it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've reached a decision. Um, that means I have to sort of move into the unknown. And uh, that was, I actually think in some way, the first time I really had faith um, in a deeper sense and 
you know, it, I had this experience with Catholicism where it didn't quite match up. I think I believed in this path on, in a certain way and, um, you know, did Jukai and took precepts and did all these things. But I think the moment when I really had faith in this, this practice was when I decided to quit my PhD, leave a 15-year career, and go into chaplaincy, which seems, still seems a little bit crazy, but um, <laughs> on some level. It also feels absolutely correct on another level. So these two kind of hang out together right now. Um, there's days and moments where the doubt, the indecision, and the analyzation, and what in the world am I doing, and why am I doing this? And this, there are other moments where it's complete faith, complete trust, and I just say, I have to go forward. I don't know what lies ahead, but I have to go forward in, in that direction. I have thoughts of who am I to help people die? I want to be a hospice chaplain. Um, how can I possibly do that? What can I offer them? Um, it's a lot of self-centeredness, um, a lot of self lack of self-confidence and a lack, lack of self-belief, um, I guess, in, in what I can do. But it's also very focused on myself um, as a person, as me, as this thing that is here. Um, and when I have the faith and the confidence and the trust, <laughs> when I have those moments, the self really isn't all that important. And I realize that that path, um, if I'm capable of doing it, is... Um, it's not really me. I become more of a vehicle for listening and being present and witnessing other people's um, experiences, whether they be joyful or, or painful. Um, but I'm nowhere near being that at 100%. Trust me, probably 5%. Um, <laughs> and this one, you know, it keeps rearing its, its beautiful self. Um, <laughs> And I keep saying, what is it? What is this? And I didn't realize that it was doubt for quite a while. Um, I actually recognized it as doubt when I recognized I was doubting Mado. And I recognized that I wasn't doubting Mado, but it was easier to project the doubt onto some other human being. Um, and she was there. <laughs> so... Um, and then when I recognized that it was doubt, and I think we're hesitant to recognize doubt, or at least I am, um, it's, it's a little bit scary. I think it gives us a lack of sense of foundation underneath us. Um, and it's a powerful emotion that um, contains a lot of fear, I think. Um, so as I started to see that there was doubt, then I started to think, well, what is this thing? What, what's it about? And the closer I look, the more I see that it is about me and my confidence and my lacking any belief that I'm worthy of being a chaplain or having the confidence to be a chaplain. Um, and I think that's all we can do, really, <laughs> with doubt, is to just look at it and to accept it. And it, in a sense... Um, like maybe could have happened with some of you that when you I yelled now to just include it, not to reject it, not to grab onto it, wonder what it was, what would it mean, and not to say, well, that was just stupid. I'm not going to think about it. Um, <laughs> and 
instead to say, what was that? What is this? What does it feel like in my body? What, what thoughts does it arise? What stories does it create? Um, and I think the other thing is, is that the image of myself that I have is, is not yet a chaplain, admittedly. <laughs> I still think of myself as an ESL teacher. Um, when I hang out in State College, I sometimes still even have moments where I think I'm a grad student still, even though I'm long past that, I guess. Um, you know, I'm still sort of attached to this other self-image way of being seen. Um, and I see myself. And... Um, in some ways, I think doubt is the fear of letting go of those images of ourselves and um, allowing some new thing to emerge, whatever that is. Um, you know, we sort of get used to our habits, our um, ways of thinking, even if they're not healthy, even the things that cause us the most suffering. Um, I know for myself, for a long time, grief was just something I clung to as part of my identity, as part of who I am. I'm a person who doesn't have parents because they died. This is my identity. This is who I am. I'm nothing else. And if you take that away from me, then I can't possibly be anything. And I have sort of come to a place where that's not such a clung to part of my identity. Still part of it. Um, still clung to at times. <laughs> um, so even the things that may not always be good for us, we still cling to them and hold on to them. And I don't think being a PhD student was particularly good for me. It's good for a lot of people, not good for me. <laughs> um, my ESL career has been wonderful, um, but it isn't right anymore, and I can tell that in lots of different ways. But saying goodbye to those parts of myself and hello to this chaplaincy part um, at this point, it's a lot of unknown as well because I haven't started. The training is ahead of me. Um, and it's just kind of there looming, um, a lot of unknowns. But luckily, I am blessed with the opportunity to have a lot of time right now to kind of find a way to start to embrace and start to welcome that into my field of awareness and say hello to it. And I guess this is what I'm going to be, so I guess I better figure out a way to be with it. <laughs> um, and denying that I am capable of it is probably not going to serve me all that well uh, when I get into it. Um, so shedding these, these identities and moving into another one, uh, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of letting go that's necessary. Um, and at least my experience of this practice is that that's, that's what this practice has a lot to do with, is fear and letting go. Um, and so it all seems to fit quite nicely to what we do here on this cushion <laughs> and out in the world. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So, um... I read this, this is uh, Dogen said this, um, which he's the sort of founder, I don't know exactly what we call him, of Soto Zen, which is our particular type of Zen. Um, I don't know, he's 12th or 13th century Chinese guy who went to Japan. Um, 
Once you have given rise to the intention to seek enlightenment, even though you are spinning about through the six realms of existence, the very causes and conditions of your spinning will become your heartfelt practice of enlightenment. Um, so the six realms Juzan spoke about last week, uh, the God realm and the hungry ghost realm that we sort of might have connections to in- reincarnation and also might be something that you, I feel for myself is something I go through kind of in life. I have months and days and moments that are hell realms and hungry ghost realms. And um, So once you have given rise to this intention to seek this path or any kind of path of enlightenment, um, even though you're still stuck in samsara and the, the six realms, the very causes and conditions of that samsara and your suffering become your heartfelt practice. Um, and I think the great trust that com- goes with the great doubt is trusting this, that what our suffering is, whatever it is, whatever comes to us, is our, healthful, our heartfelt practice. That's what, what we have to do. That's what's right here and now. Um, and <clears throat> something I've found useful to, that I've been starting to say to my doubt um, is I fully accept what is arising, the doubt, um, and I'm completely willing to let it go. Now, that's not always true, <laughs> by the way. Um, I don't always fully accept it, <laughs> and I don't always feel completely willing <laughs> to let it go. Um, but somehow, sometimes in this practice, the more you say something, the more it does become true for you. Um, and I also recently read something that our particular lineage, um, Dharma heir Coben, Chino Roshi, said um, as sort of a fun- fundamental element of our practice is that to be- is to believe in yourself utterly. I think I could work on that for a long time. <laughs> um, so I never really thought of our practice as that in such concrete terms and so clearly stated um, to believe in yourself utterly Um, so no matter what comes and whatever arises that's snow falling off the earth um, (laughs) that you you believe in yourself to meet it, to rise to the occasion to face it to be able to investigate it to look it in the face Um, to go through its many layers, whatever it is. Um, And that seems to be exactly the opposite of doubt um, and sort of the anecdote to doubt, Um, especially this hindering sort of doubt. The great doubt, I think we want to cultivate and and keep going. 